Well, hey there, podcast listeners. Today we're joined in the studio by Thud and Eugenia Vaughn. Now, Thud is a fighter pilot. That's why we call him that. We can't tell you his real name or we'd have to kill you. And Eugenia is his uh, faithful and lovely wife. And uh, so Thud's a pilot. Eugenia is an educator. She works uh, with pre-K. She's also a specialist with some disabilities with students. So this is going to be good because Tracy, today we're talking about seven signs of emotional intelligence. And I think this is something that fighter pilots can benefit from, uh, teachers and students and moms and dads and everyone. So what is emotional intelligence? Yeah, so we hear a lot of people talk about what your IQ is, that ability to measure your intelligence, but uh, a buzzword out there has been, what's your EQ, meaning what's your emotional intelligence? And actually, the studies show that your emotional intelligence is a better predictor of success in your life than even your IQ. So we figure this is probably a good conversation to have for people to learn a little bit more about their emotions. And basically, what we mean by emotional intelligence is that you have the ability to identify your own emotions, like how you feel, what you do with those, how you react to those, and then also having the ability to read those emotions in other people so you can be empathetic and be healthy in relationships. Okay, so Thud, I'm going to ask you the first question. Before we even get into the signs of emotional intelligence, um, is, is EQ or IQ, right? Emotional intelligence or just, you know, intelligence, the way we think of it, IQ intelligence, is is which one is more important, do you think, in leadership? Which one's more important for you uh, as a fighter pilot? I would definitely say both. So it depends. Uh, I think it's, it's very important to talk about the balance between the two. Um, you can get into that, uh, you know, a lot of management, a lot of leaders out there, the buzzwords are data-driven decisions in which they're just focusing on data and they're trying to use their IQ and um, and they forget about the gut feel. And um, so I think there's the gut feel. You have other people that are just all emotion and they don't have any kind of direction. So I think that you need a good balance between the two to be able to, to know yourself, to know the, what motivates others, what motivates you. And so that you can uh, use that intelligence piece, also your IQ to get the direction going, get the team going the right way. So it's a balance. Eugenia, what about for a teacher, uh, certainly in your in your case, a teacher of grade school kids, say, what do you think you use more, your IQ or your EQ at work? I agree you use both, but you really need emotional intelligence to be able to relate to the students and um, use, be able to use empathy and compassion because that you need a lot of that when you're teaching. And uh, I think that is a, a very important to have emotional intelligence. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think, Tracy, one of the things I've learned about this is if you want to succeed, if you want to really reach the highest levels of leadership and life and work and with your marriage, you like you guys are saying, you need both. You you can't, you know, you, if you if you're a high IQ person, but you have no EQ, you're not going to get very far. Because you're not, you're not going to know yourself and you're not going to know people and you're not going to know how to lead people or at least not lead them well. Um, so IQ is important, but EQ is really, I think, that thing that gets you over the hump. So let's talk about these seven signs of emotional intelligence. If you want to watch the video for this, you can find this at flextalk.org uh, in our emotion section. We also have it in our workplace section. Now, these are just seven signs. There are probably many more, but let's unpack these. Tracy, what's the first one? 
Yeah, the first one goes to your ability to read the nonverbal cues of other people. So if we talk about it in leadership, or even if we talk about it in marriage or in parenting, like my ability to read your nonverbal language before I launch into some conversation that I know has a potential for, for conflict, I should probably pay attention to what your body language is telling me and if this is a good time to bring up that conversation or if maybe something else is going on. With my kids, the same thing. It, it isn't just for me to just in a moment say, I'm having this conversation or I'm mad at you and I'm going to handle this situation this way and then miss that maybe they're crying or maybe they're really quiet and despondent and there's something else going on. So that ability to read nonverbal cues in communication is really important if you want to have healthy and good productive relationships. Is that true for fighter pilots, Thud? Because I, I could see a fighter pilot saying, you know, grunting and saying no just get the job done you know <laughs> there's no room for nonverbal communication among fighter pilots right you have to communicate clearly get to the point no eye rolling um no passive aggression am, am i am i guessing right wow you're you know us so well <laughs> it seemed like you've talked a few of us before um no it's it's like anything um so for just being a fighter pilot but also as just an officer and a commander uh, for me in the military uh, those nonverbal cues of followers, uh, subordinates, uh, your airmen, your soldiers is so vital. Uh, a lot of people, especially in the military, don't want to talk about their feelings, don't want to uh, express feelings. But really deep down, they all want empathy from their commanders. They all want empathy from their leaders. And, uh, you know, to go by to see a young airman or a young soldier that's uh, down, that's, uh, you can obviously walk by them. And especially for me, uh, in the position I've been blessed with, as far as a pretty high ranking position to go by a young airman and just to just see their body language and, you know, they're down or something's going on just, Hey man, what, what's going on? You know, how's your day going? And just look them in the eye and make eye contact with them. And, uh, you know, just to engage with them is, is, is key key to, to uh, connecting with them key to finding out what motivates them and i think that's true for for our children as well around the house you know seeing what's going on in their lives and asking the question even when the other teenager may say nothing but uh just making that that contact with them and that um and not avoiding it you know a lot of people like to avoid making contact when they see that bad body language yeah, or they're going to just plow through it anyway because they think their message is that valuable. And so they lose their ability to communicate because the person's not listening anymore because there's something in the way. And so I think people, you know, high truth people do this. They, they've, they've got a message to send, whether it's in the military, whether it's in the school, whether it's at home. I got a message to send. I remember, Tracy, with our kids, we would... We would we would sit down to share something a life lesson that we thought was really important and you know on the Brady Bunch it worked just fine but when <laughs> we did it you know we see eye rolls and we see you know folded arms and we had to learn to pick up on that when we don't have a listener anymore you might as well stop talking mm-hmm. Eugenia for you I think this is probably really important or maybe this is just something you're better at because you get to see it at a younger age I think. I think kids have a harder time faking it. So what do you notice about nonverbal communication with, uh, with pre-K? Um, with pre-K or school-age kids, it is just you can tell when they walk in the classroom what kind of morning they've had. 
they may walk in with a frown on their face. They may walk in, you know, just hyper and just, you know, but you have to notice how they are walking in the room and that all feeds their behavior and that feeds how you need to react to them. And if you don't have the emotional intelligence to realize, okay, Johnny walked in the room just really upset and, um, you can tell something was wrong. So you need to build that relationship and go talk to him and figure out, okay, what's, what's up with you? I I know that I noticed that you didn't walk in like you normally do. And, um, just trying to see what is, um, happening in their lives helps tremendously when you're dealing with behavior, when you're dealing with trying to make them more successful in their educational journey. So, and Eugenia, do you ever notice that other kids, even at that young age, can you spot the kids who already have pretty decent EQ? Yes, you definitely can. Even how, at that how can young you tell? age, um, a student can be upset or sad and you see all these, not all, some of these little children will go over there and just start consoling them and comforting them and asking them what's wrong, even at three and four years old. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and, and the point is that our EQ, we can develop that and learn more about it. So it's neat to hear that young kids, and I've seen that before where kids, so that means parents are kind of modeling that in their home and that's awesome. Exactly. Well, and that exactly. kind of leads to the second sign of emotional intelligence is the ability to be interested in another person's thoughts and feelings. So if we can read nonverbal communication, like you both shared in your examples, if you can read in someone's nonverbal, like they're upset or something's wrong, okay, well, then you can go to the next step of saying like, hey, what's going on? You look sad today. What, 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 how can I help? And really model a heart that's saying, I care about you. I want to know your thoughts and your feelings. Right. Yeah. And, and I got a confession to make here. I'm going to do this for men and hopefully this will model uh, being confessional for all the husbands or dads listening. Tracy, so many times I would come home from work and I'm still at work in my head and I'm not, I'm not able to engage. And one of the things you would say to me, I didn't like it at first, but you would say at the dinner table, Hey, whoa, where are you? I need you to be present. I want you to be here. And I'm not saying this is just a guy thing. Maybe it's a personality thing, but some of you, if, if you're listening to this in the workplace and you're thinking about this at work, some of you are just so focused on what you're doing. You're just all stuck in your own head. And it's not, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. I don't think I'm a bad person that I'm I'm thinking about work still, but I think it's low EQ to not sort of be able to say, okay, I'm going to now disconnect. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to be present wherever I am. And that means I'm going to, I'm going to read other people. I'm going to connect to their feelings and I'm going to think about the, the people at my dinner table sitting around. And that's so true at work too. For me, um, I have a very, I'm a little bit of an introvert. So There'll be, but I'm also a doer. And uh, so I'm, I'm maybe walking around, they call it fast walking. I'm, I'm, I'm walking from place to place as fast as I can. Cause I'm going to the next task. Cause I'm task oriented. I'm a fixer and I can walk right past someone. And I've had people I've known for years come up to me later and go, Hey, are you mad with me? I'm like, no, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, I've seen you walking around. And you didn't even make, say hello to me, or you didn't make eye contact with, with me. And that's something I've learned through the years is to, to really slow down, especially as I got higher levels of leadership of to slow down and to make sure I'm observant to those around me. Because even while I mean, their body language, I should be keen into, they're also keen into my body language a lot of times. And the way I'm coming across with 
with how I wear my emotion on my sleeve can be, um, can be detrimental to my own leadership and sending a different perception to other people that I don't care when deep down in my heart, I do, I love them all. And, uh, but my nonverbal cues have been what's saying, I don't love you. Right. Yeah. And I think as parents too, I think that is so important, especially if you have teenagers in your home, that if you can read those nonverbal cues and then be able to start a conversation, I mean, that's what Flex Talk is all about. We're just trying to empower meaningful conversations that if you could meet your teenager and say, hey, you just look sad today or you look stressed out. Is everything okay? What can we talk about? Rather than, and I've been guilty of this in my life, I'm like, okay, these chores weren't done. I come in the house. I've had a long day at work. The chores weren't done. And I find one of my kids sitting on the couch, maybe looking forlorn or something. And instead of... You know, sometimes I would just be like, why didn't you get this stuff done? I'm missing an opportunity to read a cue and then be able to say to them and communicate to them, like, I care about where you are right now. Let's talk about that. That's that's growing an EQ as a parent. Yeah. And here's another confession. And this is an insight for you parents out there. Tracy, when you would do that with our kids, so many times Tracy would pick up on something with our kids and Tracy would say, Kenzie, what's wrong? And I would look at I would look at her, look at Tracy, and say, "What are you? Are you trying to pick a fight right now? I don't understand what's going on." Because <laughs> I wasn't reading that. That shows how I wasn't as connected. She could just Tracy could just tell by a response, by a look in their eyes, by the way they're sitting on the couch, and that just was such a lesson for me. Man, thank God for 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 their mom. Because I don't think I would have ever addressed any of those things. And early on, Tracy, I think even Kenzie, who's wired like me, she she almost resented that because she didn't really want to talk about it, but she realized she needed to talk about it. And so she's grown in her emotional intelligence because she has a mom who's emotionally intelligent, who kind of lovingly, you know, kindly, gently drew that out of her. You didn't force her, but you were you were get, helping her to to articulate her own feelings and thoughts. And helping her sort of get it out there on the table. But if there's not someone in the family, if there's not someone in the workplace or in the classroom that is clued in to people, it doesn't have to be everyone, but it's got to be someone who's clued into people to get to get people talking and, and connecting. Okay, so this next one now, so those first two were really more about kind of in relationship with other people. But this next sign is about your ability to be emotionally resilient when setbacks happen. And this can be a really hard one, but part of emotional intelligence is being able to identify why am I feeling anger right now or why am I so upset or stressed out and not just reacting to whatever that emotion brings out of you, but to analyze it and think about it and be able to say, okay, what can I, what can I control in this situation? What can I do to make it better? And, and be able to bounce back from those, those stressors or those things that happen, maybe things that are totally out of your control, instead of just being a raging lunatic who just lets emotion guide your every action. Yeah. Eugenia, I know that you were a collegiate athlete and maybe Thud's going to have to answer this for, for you because you're too humble. Were you, were you emo, would you say that you were emotionally resilient as, a, as an athlete? Is that a quality that you had? Because I've noticed that the athletes that make it to college, for the most part, have to be emotionally resilient. I would not say I was a college <laughs> athlete at all. <laughs> um, but I would say I was an athlete. And yes, I do believe I had that because the more I was losing or getting defeated, 
the more I tried harder, the more I, you know, I just didn't give up. That was not me. I would just keep fighting and fighting until, I mean, I just gave it my hundred, 110% regardless of if we were losing 10 to nothing or. Yeah. And I think that's for us uh, as parents, we, we tried to encourage that all of our kids play at least one sport every year. And because we wanted them to learn that, that, that failure, that, 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 that feat so they can, uh, learn how to overcome those things. And that maybe sound kind of corny, uh, maybe kind of sound kind of simple, but really a lot of kids in this world are given everything they want and they become spoiled and they don't ever, they don't ever learn from failure and failure can be the greatest teacher that we have. And uh, we should not be, we shouldn't be fearful as parents to letting our kids fail. And I think using sports that way to teach that lesson is, uh, is a healthy lesson for them for yeah. us to teach as parents. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's more than failure, Thud. It's, I've noticed this even in my own life and in watching other parents. It's even just dealing with injustice because you get a you get a bad call and those referees will always make calls you don't agree with. They're human beings. Yes. Great point. Yeah. And you can get – you can. That, I know that's what I did as a young athlete. I was not very resilient emotionally as an athlete. I would let a bad call get in my head for the rest of the game. And now when I see young players doing that, I, I realize they're not going to make it very far because you just can't, you can't, that's just going to cap you as an athlete if you can't get over it and get on to the next play. And, uh, and so emotional resilience is something that really can be learned uh, on the, on the field. Yeah. And I want to, okay. So this next sign is about, you know, where you need to make improvements in your life. So Eugenie, I want to come back to the, the athlete part where you said you just didn't give up. Like when failure happened or when you didn't get whatever you wanted, you just kept trying harder. What, what did you learn or how, what skills or who, who taught you that? How did you know how to have that desire to make improvements rather than saying, well, I must just not be good enough. I would only say that was probably in athletics that I was that way, but I don't know. I don't know if it was a born, you know, if it was innate or if it is something my parents taught me. I had older brothers and, you know, we were all competitive with each other. I had a twin sister. I have a twin sister. Um, So I don't know if that was it or I just, I don't, I don't like to give up and, I like to continue to try and get better and better and um, in, in really every aspect. But. Which is really awesome because she, if she can't figure something out, it drives her nuts and she will work and work and work versus me completely just the opposite in which if I can't be the best at something, I don't want to do it. So if I'm not the top tier, then that's, that's something I'll go, I won't, I won't invest the time to be mediocre i'm going to be the best or nothing that's just what's innate in me and she has taught me a ton about just uh persistence and watching her teach that in our kids because there's a couple of kids that are just like me and uh and she has been awesome about teaching them just through her example of even the smallest thing like fixing the dishwasher or fixing the the computer it's like tonight she was all over it she was gonna make sure that computer was working and uh she did that's awesome yeah i think i think a a quality that takes us far in life is to be humble and teachable that all of us can look at you know if we have constructive criticism come from the boss or from your spouse or from a friend 
that you're able to kind of receive that and say, you know what, I know I'm not a perfect person. Um, and I always have areas where I can improve. And if we could all adopt a little bit of Eugenia's attitude of like, I'm just going to figure it out. Like, you know, my personality would say, um, well, in fact, I'm playing in this golf league right now, you guys, and I've been at the bottom of the list of the ladies league <laughs> every week. <laughs> it's so sad. So I'm trying to borrow some of my, I'm channeling the Eugenia because there's a part of me that's like, you know what? I, clearly, I'm just not that good at this game and maybe it's time to give up. But like you guys said, I think even as parents teaching our kids, even at work, like you, mo emotional intelligence is saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be a pro at it out of the gate. I got to, if I, if it means something to me, then let me put the work into it and, and grow and learn the things I need to learn in order to be a better person overall. Yeah. And I want to just talk to all you listeners out there. I want you to really think about this fourth one. It, would you say that you you invite constructive criticism in your life. You know, Tracy used the word teachable. If you, if you know where you need to make improvements in your life, that means you recognize you're not perfect. You're not trying to pretend that you are, which means that you open the door for that kind of constructive criticism. And it is such a refreshing thing when I can see that in people around me at work, at home, where you say, don't, we don't have to try to, we don't have to pr pretend that we're perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're all works in progress. And that's a really emotionally intelligent conclusion to come to about yourself. But Tracy, we know people to this day who you can't even you can't even suggest something to them mm -hmm. because they're going to put up a wall. They're going to be they're going to shut you out of their lives. And you know what what happens with those people is they don't end up having any authentic friendships. Right. Yeah. I mean, you we can make a choice to be defensive and say. I'm not interested in hearing your feedback or getting mad at people, but I bet you if you look around in your life, low EQ people don't have a lot of meaningful relationships because they don't allow for it. Well, for, you know, for us as a fighter pilot, that is what the key is for us as, as being a team is that we will go into, we may fly for an hour and we may go into a debrief for six, seven, eight hours. I've had eight hour plus debriefs before in which a young 20 something year old captain is telling the 45 year old colonel how to do things and you tell it bluntly and you get over it and you the rank we call it rank comes off in the debrief and we talk about it and we point out every mistake and if you cannot what we call thicken the skin up and learn from it then you won't be successful as a fighter pilot and you won't be and will you know you you won't make it and you won't improve and uh you know, so it's vital to learn how to let that ego go down and to keep it, keep yourself humble so that you can learn from even the youngest uh, of our, you know, for, for us youngest pilots. Right. That boy, that would be tough. That's great. Okay. So I just want to end because a couple of these were a little bit, I feel like we've already hit on them, that you're aware of your own feelings. And then we've kind of touched on just pursuing success that a person with high EQ isn't going to be a quitter, isn't going to just give up. But I thought it might be good to end with the, you avoid negative self-talk. And I do think that that's, yeah, I mean, I think we all can relate to, um, Maybe some of that negative self-talk, the things that we put in our head of doubt or you're not good enough or give up on yourself or whatever, and that if we want to grow in emotional intelligence, we really need to quiet that voice and, and, and have thoughts that speak life and encouragement to replace those. So do you guys have any thoughts on that? Or even with your kids, do you have some of your kids struggle with negative self-talk more than another? 
most definitely. <laughs> um, I think I struggle with it, and that's probably one of your struggles yep, as well. It is. Um, but I see that in my daughter as well, and she's probably learned it from me or learned it from Brian. And um, just trying to, you know, it's easier to see in other people than it is to see in yourself. But I totally see it in myself and how I'm having to work through that because that is probably one of my weakest areas in emotional intelligence. Yeah, definitely. For me, I know, Brian, we've talked before about where you find your identity. And uh, for me, I have been unbelievably blessed with a successful career and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my dream job. And, um, you know, most people say, Hey, fighter pots are cool, but I'm telling you, I'm the biggest dork in the world. And I have lots of failures and I fail every day and, uh, I see it. I'm super critical of myself and, um, it's probably one of the biggest struggles in my life. And unfortunately we see it in our kids, uh, our daughter is one of the most, I think, brilliant people I've ever been around. And you made it all the way to here. So so <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I was like, I was like, he's gonna make it. He's gonna make know, it. The I'm whole... almost gonna make it. I get emotional, but um, my, this is my emotional intelligence coming out. But um, she is literally one of the most brilliant people that I've ever been around, and she can't see it. Yeah, we we noticed that about our son AJ. He's a he's just a total stud, but he has a little bit of that in him where he he's got, and I think Tracy to your credit and I would say this to parents out there, help your kids identify that and help them get it out on the table because I I think AJ's really grown in that. He is he he catches his negative self-talk and he and he defeats it with truth. And, and again, it doesn't mean he's arrogant. We always tell him, hey, you need to know the line between cocky and confident. We don't want you to be cocky because that's fake confidence. Mm-hmm. We want you to be truly confident. And and so self negative self-talk is, um, I think one of the reasons it's so dangerous is if you don't have someone in your life that can identify that you're struggling with that, it's self-talk, so it's it doesn't always come out. Mm-hmm. So you need you need to be emotionally intelligent, Tracy, you are, to identify even the signs of that, that you've got negative self-talk going on up there in your head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so people who haven't struggled with that probably can't necessarily even recognize it in someone else. And so if you have struggled with negative self-talk, um, as you have gotten victory over it, I encourage you to help the next person that you recognize deals with it as well. Yeah, so I think to end today, emotional intelligence, if you're if you've listened to this podcast and you're like, "Boy, I am I don't have any of these signs in my life and I'm struggling in every area." The good news is we can all grow in emotional intelligence. So, go on a journey of of starting to identify and and connect with yourself in terms of what are my emotions? What do I why am I feeling those? What what can I do with those? And how can I start to empathize and relate to and look at other people and think they have a perspective too. And I need to clue into that. And I think we'll be better parents for that. We'll be better in our marriages. We'll be better leaders in the workplace. Uh, It'll be a win-win. So Thud and Eugenia, thanks for joining us and adding your silky sweet Southern drawl to this episode. (laughs) And uh, for all of you out there listening to this one, check this out at flextalk.org. Have this conversation with someone else and keep talking.